You've heard her on NPR for years. Well, you're going to hear her right now. We're tableside at CJ Cannons. And uh, her name, of course, is Janie Gould. And she has a number of books to her credit. And she also gives speeches. She's a frequent guest around this state. And uh, I'm glad you're having such success now. Uh, You're no longer on the radio daily, but you're pretty dang busy with your speaking engagement. What do you talk about? Well, I talk about, uh, there are two speeches that I can give, that I've been giving. One is on global events and how they affected Florida in the mid-20th century. The other one is called When Manatees Were Sea Cows, and it's about how Floridians coped when times were hard. I bet you're going to tell me they ate sea cows. They did. They ate lots of things, and they they trapped otters and a lady here in Vero Beach. That sounds utterly ridiculous. Oh, oh gosh. I interviewed a woman who lived here in Vero Beach. She's passed on. But when she and her husband built their first house, which was out near where our mall is now, and at the time it was pretty swampy. It was in about 1950. But they didn't have electricity. They didn't have many appliances. He had a job, a day job. But at night they would go out into the swamp. They had an airboat. And they would take the the airboat out and set traps for otters. And then they would come back and they would run the traps later. And she told me that they would capture as many as 20 otters wow. at a time. They would bring them back and they killed them and they skinned them and they sold the uh, pelts to fur merchants up north. Hmm. And I said, who bought the pelts? What were they for? And she, she said, this was on the tape, it was for coats for rich people up north. That's what it was. And I remember I asked her if they um, sold the meat, the otter meat. And how did she put it? She said, no, and I don't know why people didn't like it much. It was just as good as the armadillo meat we fixed. So. Oh, God. Armadillo meat. Doesn't I remember my mother, we, uh, we, freak, we had family in Texas growing up. And we'd fly down there. Anyway, my mother had an armadillo pocketbook. It was the whole thing with, the, I guess, the guts cut out. And it was <laughs> Did you try it? <laughs> oh, I didn't eat any of the armadillo, no. Oh, gosh. They're not too appetizing to look at. Then, well, but... people, people will eat anything to stay alive. Do you know that the people have stayed alive by eating cactus, cacti? I know, and little insects. If you're starving, which I never have never been, and I don't guess you have either, but you will do whatever it takes to eat. Now, I interviewed a man in um, Bassinger. Your listeners might not know where that is, but it's about 50 miles southwest of here. It's north of Okeechobee City. What's the name of it again? Bassinger. Bassinger. It's about 10 miles north of Okeechobee City. And to give you an idea of how small it is, people in Bassinger refer to Okeechobee City as the big city. And that's true. Anyway, I interviewed a man who has been a rancher and farmer there for years. His family dates back to just before, just after the Civil War, to moving to that area of Florida, the Kissimmee River Valley. Anyway, our interview was finished, I thought, and I was about to turn off the recorder and go about my merry way, and the man's son said, Dad, you didn't tell her about being a coon tycoon. And I said, what? So anyway, I turned the recorder back on. Well, 
to make some extra money at one point in his life, he hired boys to go out and hunt raccoons at night. To do what? To hunt raccoons. Really? Yeah, at night. And coon tycoon. And he had a great accent. Um, we were coon tycoons. But I asked him what he did with the meat. And he said they sold it to a market in Belgrade. He said people there just love raccoon meat. And I said, how did, did you cut it up? Did you fillet it? How did you do it? And he said, no, we left the head and legs on so they'd know it was a coon and not a dog. <laughs> and I, anyway, oh, my. and he talked about the, the uh, fur. He said they sold the fur to, to retailers in Russia for, for Soviet-style hats. And anyway, he, it, was a, it was quite a story. He said they were in that business for a few years and made some, you know, made some decent money. Well, back then, I mean, my mom, growing up in the 60s, had a, uh, what do you call it, a mink stole. Well, sure, sure. And I remember being up in Canada once. It was icy, I mean, really bad storm. And these people, I used to sing in churches up there, and uh, I, w- I was invited back to these people's uh, house, little cottage. And they were saving a, a full raccoon coat for their grandson. I'm talking goes down to the feet almost. And I put that, they let me, they wanted me to wear it that day because we're out in the blizzard, talking and walking the blizzard. And I got to tell you, it was like walking in a warm, heated uh, living room. That, and I finally understood why women love a real fur because, wow, you felt so secure and toasty warm. There was nothing warmer, that's for sure. I'm reading a book, I think, Gentlemen in Moscow. And the protagonist talks about being in the Winter Palace during before the Russian Revolution. And there was this blast of cold air coming from somewhere. And he, he didn't know, didn't imagine where it was coming from. And then he saw that the door to the cloakroom had been left open by someone. And all these nobles and their wives had come in for this big party. And all these fur coats were hung up in the cloakroom, but the door was still open, so they had the cold they, from the outside was still on, the, on these coats. He said it was amazing. So anyway, that's yeah. just an aside. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, when you, so when you give talks, you, uh, one of the speeches you give, uh, and uh, you're very much in demand, is uh, about uh, uh, world events and how that affected Florida. And of course, it's a great subject because we've gained power ever since the chads somehow you know used to be california now everybody watches florida for the telltale sign of who's going to be uh, leading in washington that's true and it's hard to uh, remember now i guess but it wasn't that long ago that florida was still a backwater state in 1950 florida had a population of about a million the same as west virginia now Florida's population is over 20 million, and West Virginia's is less than 1 million. So Florida has just boomed since starting with the end of the Second World War. 900 people a day move to Florida. I think it's 956 or something on average. One of the stories, one of the most compelling stories I guess I've done, I interviewed a former German POW. He was, by this time, he was in his 70s or so, and a retired man living in South Florida. But during World War II, he was a German soldier. He was captured at Anzio in Italy, and along with several hundred other POWs brought to the United States. 
and people might not know it, but Florida at that time had about 10 POW camps in the state for Germans. Germans. I always wondered what they did with all those Germans they were collecting. Wow. Well, there was really no place to keep them, I suppose, in Europe. And there was a lot of wide open land here in this country, a lot of remote areas. But Florida and a lot of other states served, housed German POWs. This particular man was held at Camp Blanding, which is near Stark, north east of Gainesville, between Jacksonville and Gainesville. And he talked about what it was like there. And what was it like? I'd like well, to know. It's amazing. He said that they were treated very well. They saw movies every month. They saw all the road movies. You know, the Bing Crosby. Was it Bing Crosby? <laughs> all the roads movies. And um, He had a little job in the sewing center. He helped, I don't know, he helped push the trestle of the sewing machine or something. And he would be paid a little bit, and when he had saved a dime, he could buy two Cokes, Coca-Colas. And he talked about how they were allowed to write letters home once a month, and they, the authorities were careful not to give them paper that where they could use invisible ink on it. So anyway, he had such a good experience in Florida, even though he was being held prisoner, that after the war, he did go back to Europe. They all were sent back to Europe. But the situation there was so dire after the war. There wasn't much food. There wasn't much heating fuel yeah. that he moved back to the United States as soon he as he could. So much in prisoner of war here, he came back to live. That's right. My father was in the Navy during the war, and he was at Camp Landing for a time. And he used to talk about the Germans. He remembered the Germans prisoners. He said they ate in the same mess hall with the Americans. No, they ate in the same mess hall? Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah. Same food. They, he said they sat at different tables and he remembered them talking and joking and everything. So You know, I don't understand. Man goes out and they kill other men. They shoot them in war, which I detest. And then next thing you know is, you know, I tell you what, we're going to... We're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back with Janie Gould. Uh, we're 10 minutes in. That's about the right time to take a break, and then we'll come back. This is the Mayor of the Airwaves. Who loves you, baby? <laughs> 